1: Cookie wants to be a professional wrestler. I'm Cookie Serratos and I'm 11 years old. She also wants to win all the medals. That's why Cookie and her family make every day count, squeezing out her best with Go-Go Squeeze. Okay, Cookie, let's break for a Go-Go Squeeze. Go-Go Squeeze Fruit-On-The-Go Pouches are a nutritious snack made from 100% fruit with no sugar added. Go, Cookie! Because when you nurture your kids, you squeeze out the best in them. Squeeze out their best with Go-Go Squeeze. Not a low-calorie food. Products range from 11 to 13 grams of sugar and 60 to 70 calories per serving. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on The Blue Room. I'm your host, Rob Vera. Joined this week by Matt Jones and Mike DeAsha. Um, You guys were just having what Matt terms local chat before we hit record about beers and socializing potentially. And I guess all the all this talk about your lockdown being eased over there has got me a little sad on Thanksgiving Day here in America where we're being advised not to travel at all or see family (laughs) so it sounds like uh i don't know if if you guys have the sense and i know you were talking about earlier earlier this week if if they're kind of lifting some of these restrictions a little too soon or if you're kind of excited about some of the the developments uh, of potentially getting to get out again and maybe even get back to goodison
0: yeah, I feel excited about it. I don't know if, if Mike's the same. I think it's the fact that there's the vaccine news, which continues to be positive, that's sort of underpinning my general attempts to be positive. So, listen, I'm not you know, I'm not expecting us all to be back in Goodison Park in a month and you know potentially all at Wembley for a League Cup final in February. Imagine that. Um, yeah. But hmm. but um, it's it's nice, isn't it? It's nice to have things to look forward to. It's nice that we're talking about these things again and. You know, it was, you know, I think everyone I've spoken to about this, maybe Mike Aside, has said that while they're not really keen on the idea of going to Goodison Park, where it's only, you know, 2,000 people in there, uh, everybody who said that if they got picked up the ballot, they'd probably go if they got the opportunity. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that one. But, yeah, I'm feeling positive, mate.
1: Yeah. Mike, you still – I get, get the sense you're still a little cautious, even if you were to – Get selected, I, I, and again, I don't totally understand how they're doing it, but it, it sounds like they're almost doing some kind of rotating lottery to see who gets to come to games in in, in a limited fashion. It's it's probably got to be difficult if you're doing the whole thing where, on the one hand, you're acting accordingly with uh, certain guidelines and and with common sense to say, you know, I want to dodge this disease as much as possible. I don't want to contribute to the problem, and then. Then you get the call that you've been picked to go to Goodison, and you're like, "Oh well, you know, I know I said that, but I really do want to see Hamas Rodriguez play. I, I, that would, admittedly, be tough for me <laughs> to to pass up. But I'm, I, I feel like with the vaccine so close, I'm just, I'm, I'm so hesitant to put myself in that kind of situation right now. But I, I have no idea how they're even going to pull it off or what it's going to look like to have, you know, even a few thousand people in the park and how they'll distance and those sorts of things.
2: Yeah, I think um, it's a. Lights at the end of the tunnel isn't it which is it's just so nice to have um because even as well, as little as what a month ago we were pretty much relying on having some five minute tests that might let us go back outside so actually seeing some sort of tangible results from a vaccine is just like it's heroin mainlined into your eyeballs at the minute which mm-hmm. <laughs> a nice thing to read about and remind yourself about every few days when you just have a bit of a down moment um mm-hmm. yeah i'm i if I got selected, I'd have a really hard time saying no, but I'd like to think I would say no mm-hmm. i just I just don't think my conscience would allow it right now i yeah. and I, I know that the chances of anything happening is so small and uh, but it's just for me with the vaccine news being there now, it will be a case of I've been incredibly patient with every aspect of my life i think we all have we've all been very very patient with our lives And the fact that there is a light at the end of the tunnel now that for me it's like right there's one final push of being really really patient and if that's what is the difference between everyone you know still being alive in a few months or not then i'm gonna keep being patient
1: yeah i i I'm recording this with you guys on Thanksgiving day uh here in America oh, hey, which is, Rob. you should have said oh it. thank you thank you uh yeah it's it's that exact point Mike just made and I appreciate that uh Matt, um, yeah, I, it's a, it's a sort of made up holiday that we've got here that is so traditional that it doesn't even really matter why the holiday originated in the first place. It's really just, you know, it's like, it's like something that has its it's own meaning has kind of morphed over the years into just an excuse for family to get together and eat. But I think that's been the, been what kind of like what Mike was just saying, like, this is one of the very few times where, um like i've never been in I've lived in oklahoma Oklahoma since the late nineties. I've never been here for Thanksgiving. you know I've always been back home in Texas or maybe traveling to see other families somewhere else, but this is just kind of bizarre like uh, before we hit record, I just got off a zoom call with my family and you know it was fine, but it, it's just one of those things where we feel like we all kind of feel heartened by the vaccine news and so we're. I think we're all just kind of like, if we can just get through, you know, a little bit longer. Um, and really for me, mainly it's just, I want my, my elderly parents to get vaccines. I mean, if, if they can get vaccinated, then, then that, that removes the, the risk, you know, so significantly. And so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that hopefully that's coming soon and you know, we'll see, but I, I, today's a weird day. Uh, it's, it's uh it's it's a weird day all around and i i invited you guys on here today because i I wanted to kind of and we and i probably still will i i had this idea of incorporating a little bit of uh you know nfl uh subject matter into uh, our discussion of of everton and premier league and, and and those sorts of things but obviously uh any plans to just have a light enjoyable day uh met up against the immovable object that is Everton uh, and, and what happens when you follow and support Everton. And, and uh, we were just getting through, I think a week's worth of discuss or, you know, almost a week's worth of discussion since Sunday, Matt, about all of the, you know, Oh, do shit. How much nitpicking do we want to do over a road win in London? And, and we broke a losing streak and there's still so much in front of us, which I, uh, I certainly believed after the game, but uh, here we are, uh, you know, waking up today to news of Luca Dean, of all things, suffering a major injury in training of all places. I, I don't know what it is, guys. Uh, I, I don't think we have a timeline. There's there's kind of unofficially this fear it could be up to two months, which doesn't sound very sciencey to me. It sounds very speculative at this point, but uh, so who knows if it involves surgery, you have to think it's probably on the longer end of things, but... Um yeah I, I you wake up to that or at least I woke up to that today and uh, it's a it's a bit of a gut punch um, you know to to take someone who is such an integral part of of, of everything good at everton and, and what we've been seeing this season especially in attack and suddenly to have Luca Dean uh, out I, I I don't know about you guys and and Mike I'll start with you on this but that I, I this is irrational but there's something about an injury happening in a non-meaning Meaningful setting. Uh, and what I mean by that, of course, is training is a meaningful activity, I suppose. But it's like you can almost, you can almost, uh, you almost can kind of like shrug your shoulders that, hey, things happen, you know, shit happens. And, and if it happens in a game, you're like, well, that's just, that's how sports work. But for it to happen in training, right when we're, right when it feels like, all right, we may have uh, started to turn things around, we've got a couple of winnable fixtures coming up. Uh, I know that there, we'll get on to talking about what we do or what Carlo Ancelotti does, but it's a bit of a gut punch, isn't it?
2: I think it's a complete gut punch. Um, as news goes, it's possibly as bad a bit of news as you're going to get on just a training ground exercise. It's just the way those things go sometimes, isn't it? But it's up to Everton to sort of mitigate the gut punch as well as they can. I think you have to look at a team like Leicester and how they've dealt with injuries to, well, I, you could compare it very easily with um, Ricardo Pereira, who was just as integral to the way that they played as a full-back. And him knackering his ACL towards the latter half of last season was massive for them. But they still managed to get through it, managed to get past yeah. it, managed to adjust. And I think Everton have got to kind of do the same thing. Um I do think it means that... 3-4-3 three, three, or, well, definitely three at the back is something that we now see quite often because um, Nielsen Kunko is going to be a very good footballer but his defensive side is not quite there just yet and he's going to need a lot of help over on that side. I think the best way to get it to him is by stacking the midfield and stacking the defence behind him as well. Mm-hmm. Matt?
1: Yeah, I think the
0: thing about it is just I think there's some plays that you sort of you go through your your week to week and you get ahead of games and you sort of half expect them to be injured. Or like you're sort of not surprised. Like if Andre Gomez was reported as having an injury today, you, you just shrug your shoulders and go, Well, yeah, Andre Gomez yeah. gets injured, you know, every now and then, it's fine. But I don't think Luca Dean's ever really been injured, has he? I think he's just whenever he's been whenever he's been fit, he's been in the team and you just sort of get on with it. And I think that's probably the one of the biggest testaments you can pay to him, really, in regards to the fact that you just expect him to be in the, the 11, you don't really notice him until he has games like at the weekend where you go, you sort of remind like, you bloody are, this, this lad's really, really good, and we're, we're quite lucky to have him in that sense. So I think it's just it's that sort of comfort blanket that we've had at left back whenever he's played. And now, last season wasn't his best by any means, he, he, he didn't reach the levels he, he reached in his first season, but. He was still solid and dependable whenever he played. You know, did a job for us, and just not having that there is a, a worry and a defence that, you know, as we spoke about before, already needs restructuring and, and rejigging because things haven't been going particularly well. But um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's one of them, isn't it? With training, you, I think you, you hear about managers of the best sides, and they always talk about how the training is intense and competitive, and. Mm-hmm. You 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 want it to be like that because you want everyone to be fighting for the place of the team at the weekend and and that that you know that that's part of it and then in the same breath you, you don't want it to be too much but you know I, I know what you're saying Rob, but you can't just have them all socially distanced and, and just you know doing no, yeah. stuff like that yeah. these, these, these things are going to happen from time to time it's just it's just a bit shit that it's happened after. You know, I think selling the first forty-five minutes might be Luca Dean's best he's had for the football club at the weekend. Thought he was unbelievable, um, but yeah, just really annoying, isn't it? Not really much else you can say about it.
1: Yeah, I, it's annoying, and and uh, I think Mike brings up a good point, and I, I think under. I think it's fair to say that under lesser managers of which we've had plenty uh, in the last uh, (laughs) decade or so, uh, this is one of those things where we, where I think we all would, I think we historically have, we would shrug our shoulders and say, all right, well, there it goes. And that's, you know, we've got not only the built-in excuse to lose, we, we almost kind of allow it to to happen and and I think this is a real test uh, for for everton, isn't it in terms of seeing how far as a a collective mind hive if you will, in terms of the of of the mentality and in terms of having a manager who has dealt with situations like losing a player before and how has he had to adjust and and uh, you know you could. I, I think it's a really good point to say other other sides this season have lost significant players to even more significant injuries, and we're certainly not immune to it. it, it maybe it's uh, somewhat miraculous we've already made it this far without having a, a, a major one, um, but we we now have one to deal with, and it's coming at of course right before the the festive schedule, which is just to me the even you know, in some ways the even bigger kick. You know if this had happened in January. Maybe uh, you could you could talk yourself into it not being quite as big a deal, but it it does it does certainly begin to make you think about uh, how Everton have to operate and. Honestly, I, I mentioned before, guys, that that I don't that I thought the subject matter I was going to talk about today was going to be completely altered uh, by this news. But maybe it isn't. I, 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 I and and what I want to talk about today is it was a little bit about how my consumption of other sports probably changes my mindset about what my expectations are at times, in, in regards to, you know, what success. Looks like uh, in a game, uh, you know, offensively, defensively, those sorts of things. Um, and I, so before we get too into that, I, I guess I want to come to to the two of you because you're you're obviously more tactical <laughs> I mean, it goes without saying you're you're more tactically astute than I am, uh, but i I really am interested in your thoughts on this. Um, before this happened, matt, I, I you saw the thread that i you retweeted the thread that I posted earlier this week about. Um, the fact that, that this idea that fixing the defensive issues, while certainly not something that you can dismiss, certainly not something that's easy, is a more, I feel like, a feasible issue to address with a side, especially if you feel like, A, you have a really strong manager and a management setup, and B, you feel like you've got quality options that you just have to find a way to get the mix right on. Whereas trying to suddenly with an existing group and no addition suddenly make them into a quote good attacking side that's just not how it 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 works right and so uh, I've kind of I kind of had this mindset going you know going forward after the Fulham match which is a we need to improve the defense yes but b um in in a league that looks like this with all of the scoring and and so on and so forth you, you almost have to I'm not saying accept – you certainly don't want to get to a point where you're accepting uh, conceding two goals a game where well, you can't win like that consistently. But I think that there has to be this mindset that, hey, it, you need to be a good attacking side to stay with the elite in this league. Focus on that. Try to do the best you can defensively um, and and go from there. And and I thought what we saw on Sunday at Fulham was an example of, of – trying to make an adjustment, uh, essentially Carlo Ancelotti kind of constructing a right-sided attack where one hadn't maybe existed and shoring up some things. And it had some mixed effects. I thought in the first half, the attacking was great. The defense was obviously still leaving something to be desired, but now we're getting to a point where it looks like it's going to be three, three at the back, especially this weekend. Seamus Coleman, I don't think is going to be back this weekend, right? I think he'd said last no. week, it's at least two weeks for him. He clearly doesn't, have any intention of giving John Joe Kenny meaningful minutes though. I think that that will probably change situationally during the festive period. Um, So it looks like we're going to be doing the wingback thing guys. So I want to start with you, Matt. Like uh, what are your expectations for uh, uh, an adjustment like this in regards to how you view Everton's defensive bar if you will in terms of where where do you set the bar like can do you do you almost have to kind of concede that we're not going to be as tight defensively as we'd like until we get our fullbacks back to fitness. And maybe this is just one of those things where we have to, you know, uh, uh, allow the, the actual composition of the way the squad is versus what we want it to be to dictate our expectations of how the defense performs. Uh, I think it's going to be a bit of a tall task to, you know, with this particular group to keep goals out of our net right now. And we just have to hope we can score. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think I think you can go probably two ways with this.
0: Aren't you? I think that there's probably two senior candidates to step in to that. Well, one senior candidate and one younger candidate. So obviously, Delft's the a senior one, and who's the the sort of rising star we've got who's, who's playing under twenty three football at the moment. And I think if you go Delph just to start off with, I think that could make Everton better defensively because you could just say to him, just sit in that position. You're not naturally going to get round Richarlison and get crossed into the box because that's not really your game. It's all about, you know, tackling and, and stuff like that. Just just sit in that position and make sure that we don't get too exposed at the back. And I, I think that could improve us defensively in that regard. But
1: now, really quick, Matt, when you say in that position, are you talking about as a wing back or as a left back?
0: Either, either, whether he plays as either. Because um, I think you'll he, get chances of both. And the other way of going about it is, obviously, in Kun as me and Mike sort of had a very fleeting conversation about this on Twitter before, is just to say, to hell with it. And let's just go a bit wild and make every game a basketball match and back our attacking talents to come out on top against your attacking talents. And I think, ultimately, as a City here right now, I could probably see Everton. If Everton went with Delft at left back, say for the, the rest of the season, obviously that's not going to happen because he's going to get an injury. But say you played every game on that as the left sided defender for between now and the end of the season. Or we played Niels and Kunku as the left side of defender between now and the end of the season. I probably would say that we'd probably get about the same amount of points, to be honest. I think it probably they probably offset each other enough just to be about medium. Um, but I think one way would be a lot more fun. I think one yeah. way, I think, <laughs> and, and that, that 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 that's it, ultimately. I think if, if you're playing Kunku, I suppose probably where I would probably shade going with Kunku over Delph is that this is all I do, Everton obviously hope has got, got a long-term future with the football club. The same probably can't be said for Fabian Delph. And it's not, it's not one of those situations where we have this conversation every February, March, Rob, and say... We need to learn about these players because the season's over by, by any right. means because there's still, no. still, still so much for us to, to play for this year, like I said, including a potential League cup, cup final down the road. But if your best player is not available, you may as well learn about one who has shown promise, who has already been given his opportunity in the Premier League and, you know, didn't have a great game but didn't disgrace himself either. And let's, let's see what he can do. And I think we'll learn more in the long term about Nkunku going that way and we'll all have a lot more fun. Along the way, whether that's what Carlo Ancelotti will do is a different matter entirely. I think Delft will definitely get games, certainly in those big matches up until Christmas and and in the new year. But by and large, if we're playing a generic opponent, a generic stadium, and Everton need to win a, the, the football match, I'd probably go with and go with Delft.
1: Mike, I, I want your thoughts on this, but I, I, I do want to posit a, a way to frame this discussion a little bit, which is pro all with all of the with all of the 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 positives and negatives of of Everton's level of performance that we've seen so far this season do you, do you look at a choice like this an Nkunku versus Delft choice and you do you say to yourself which of these two would allow Everton to play as similarly as they as possible to how they played with Dean in in the in the 11 or to Matt's point, do you say, do you sort of concede? Maybe do you concede that you can't play that way, and you therefore go for the more defensively solid option um, and hope? Like, I guess my 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 concern, and I, I want your thoughts on this too, is that if you're going to play Delph at left wing back, and you're telling me he's not really the type that's going to get forward and get involved in the attack, then I'm I'm almost sort of like, well. Why not just play with a back fourth? That, like, what's the point of, to me, I, I wonder, and you guys know more about this. I kind of am oversimplifying it, but what's the point of a wing back if he's not getting involved in the attack, I guess is my question. So, all those things thrown out at you, Mike, what, what are your thoughts?
2: Um, I think as a wing back, I think Delph would be perfectly adequate. I don't think would be any real issue. I think he would obviously get involved in that in the final third. I just think, uh, sort of akin to what Matt was saying, that he wouldn't have anywhere near the same influence that Dean had on that final third. He'd be there, he'd be flashing crosses in, but it wouldn't be towards the same influence that Dean did. And it wouldn't be with the same focus. Just that's the only real difference. The, the The one thing you can always guarantee at wing back is volume. You can never guarantee quality. I think that's that's mm-hmm. a big difference there. Um, I'm just, I want to have fun. I, I want to have fun. I, I'm enjoying the, the one thing I've enjoyed about this season is that I, I have had fun quite a lot of it. Everton have scored goals that I haven't been able to dream of at all, ever. When I've supported Everton, that includes Roberto Martinez's first season, which was really good, but the quality of goals has never been this good, ever. Some of the intelligent passing, some some of just the moves and the confidence, I haven't seen it, and I would like more of it. And I agree with Matt that if you're in a situation where you lose a player who is so important to that system and that confidence then work out a way of keeping that confidence. Change it a little bit. Because I think Everton were aware that they couldn't really keep playing the way they were playing anyway. Because we've seen that over the three games before the international break. Something had to change. And there you go. You've had something change for you. We we saw 343 and we were a little bit on and on about whether it would stick around. And a few people said, yeah, I could see it sticking around for a little bit of time with a few tweaks here and there. Well, there you go. It's probably going to stick around now. And now it's time to tweak more things. So whether you'll see Hammers take much more central positions and be the absolute creative force that's protected properly then that might be the answer. Maybe that is that is how things change and that's where things do go down a different path and it's got to all go through the fullbacks to create any sort of attacking impetus, any sort of space. You're asking maybe more of uh, two front men rather than um, Calvert-Lew on his own. Maybe you are moving back towards that two up front thing with a sort of proper wing back system of, people who are going to cut track back and cover. And to me, that sounds perfect for the likes of Fabian Delph and Seamus Coleman. And if you're going to want people to just cover that and do hard yards, there you go. Do those hard yards. You don't have to be the absolute, just excellent cream of the crop crossing wingbacks. We'll change this system up. We'll play two up front. And you know what? Yeah, we'll stretch the fences wide and then we'll head them through the central area with the likes of Hammers, with Alex Awobi, with those sorts of players, with Decore, who... I thought it was excellent the other day. I want to see more of that sort of surge and run deep into the box. I want more of that. So those sort of things can be done. There are answers here. But I think it all comes back to the fact that I just want to have fun. So if they are going to sort of stick to try and play the same system, yeah, go for Nkunko because that'll be really fun. Like <laughs> the lad has got so much there, but he's raw and he needs time to adapt to that. Maybe it's written off our top four hopes this year, those hopes that I think none of us really had when the season started, but some of us gained. And that's fine, because sometimes setbacks happen. They're going to happen to loads of teams over this season, but I don't think it's written off Everton's chances of Europe. And you know what? There's only one way to get there, and that's through having the confidence to go out and score goals and outscore teams. And that means going and having fun.
0: Yeah, I think just one one more point I'd make on that, Rob. I'd be surprised if we ever saw, maybe apart from this weekend, actually, uh, but even not this, I'd be surprised if we saw this, this weekend. I'd be surprised if we saw Iwobi one wing back and kunku the other wing back. I don't think he'd go for that. I think if you've got if you've got if you've got Seamus Coleman and or John Joe Kenny as one wing back, maybe give you a bit more defensive stability and shape. Mm. And you might look for Nkunku on the other side then. But Iwobi wobe on one side and Kunku on the other you know, it's it sounds it sounds like it could be. Absolute batshit crazy, and I might absolutely love it, but I'm not entirely sure a manager like Carlo Ancelotti would would go for something like that. So um, I'd be surprised if we saw two wing who with that Cavalier because Luka Dean, albeit he's excellent go forward, is you know he's got a bit of balance defensively, hasn't he? As well, he knows how to hold the shade, he knows when to tuck in, knows when to go out and stuff like that. Uh, but with Nkunku and a you've not really got any of that. On, on either flank so I'd be interested to see what he does at the weekend in that regard the, the other thing I just wanted to say is um, I don't know if you that saw yesterday but the, one of our youth products was linked to a move to Bayern Munich and Juventus Thierry Small and he's a left back so yeah
1: I didn't even know that guy existed Honestly, 16 16, like 16 years old just get him in you know <laughs> Well, we we joke, but God, it, uh, uh, I think we all need to remember that as we have this fluid discussion of of Delph versus Inkuku. When we talk about Delph, we're talking about a player who is always a hard sneeze away from being injured for four weeks. Uh, so, I, I I think that I think that we can't really take any any potential option off the table. I hope it doesn't come to a sixteen year old playing left back for us, but. I mean, look, as we talk about, um, you know, Mike, as as Mike talks about denting uh, chances at the top four, I mean – Hey, all of the all the big sides this season seem to be dealing with some sort of uh, you know injury issue now, and if they aren't now, they probably will be at some point. We all talked very openly uh, as we headed into the season that congested uh, fixture schedule and these tighter turnarounds and so on. Uh, we're going to have some some effects potentially on the injury front for for sides, and and now I. I I don't think – I am I, I, I feel like you guys are talking me down on off the ledge a little bit because obviously you have to get through the gut punch of the Dean injury. You think about the assists. You think about the way he just makes that left-hand side really home. And it, it sounds like what you guys are saying is that – even with Dean out that there is a path that there is a path forward for this, for this side to, to make an adjustment or to find a way. It won't be the kind of production you get from Luca Dean, but that there is, that there is a path there. Um, I, I, I do though, want to talk about Alex Iwobi though at right, right wing back. I'm, I'm fascinated by this because Matt, you just said that with, uh, it almost sounds like you're you're predicting that the Delph is your left back because Carlos surely not going to have two uh, such heavily offensive minded players playing in those wing back positions. Maybe one of them, but not two. Uh, my, I, I have a two part question, Matt. One is does having two of those types of players, let's say you went with Nkuku and, and Iwobi there. Um, I guess the argument is is that you're now making both flanks defensively less sound but I guess I wonder if you have a more defensive minded player on one side Does and you have the more offensive-minded player on the other, does that just not create a magnet on that side where there is a poor defensive player and basically everything's going back down our left again? Is that more of a problem in some abstract way or or not? And then the second question I would ask about Awobi is, after his performance last week, I I feel like it would be harsh to drop him uh, in that scenario. Um, I don't think – I think he's got to play because there's no Coleman and I don't think he's going to play Kenny, and so – Um, is, is, is we'll be actually in a tough position in this regard because it feels like, and I, 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 I tend to be more like you, Matt, where I want to see more from Awobi before I start believing. But it does feel like that this kind of position in some ways, at least from an attacking standpoint, does suit him really well uh, because it, it it does play to his game and it keeps him engaged in a way that I think helps him and, and it gives him the ability to have a little more space to kind of run onto the ball, get crosses in, those sorts of things. Um, is Awobi going to be a victim of, of that in some ways? Because if 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 you can't continue to have him at right wing back full time, is he ever going to be as effective as he was Sunday playing just a more conventional right-sided position? I, I, I don't know. Uh, th- those are the, I guess my, my questions are, you know, how do you sort out that balance between having two attack minded wing backs versus having one that's defensive. And, and it, it just feels like a, an odd series of, of uh, odd series of choices where any choices that you make is going to create a hole somewhere else. Uh, how do you manage your way around that?
0: <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? It's it's yeah. all about it's all about players showing they can adapt and, and take the opportunities when when they, they come in the way. I suppose it's you know when when we did the Awobi chat on subs weekly. I think me and Mike sort of said you know sort of what you said there. I'm not ready to stand up you know on my soapbox and proclaim I believe in Alex Awobi. Yeah, because. Every time I feel like we might be close to doing that, he turns in a performance like Southampton away and you go, what on earth is this, this lad all about? It's, yeah. I, I, I do have some sympathy for him because the, the the fact he played right wing back at the weekend and did so well is sort of indicative of the fact that he is someone who's just been hooked around this team for for ages without really ever getting an opportunity, A, in his best position or B, in any position long enough to to make it his own and, and develop consistency and develop links with people on the pitch, this this might be a chance. And I, I agree, I think it'll be harsh to drop him for the weekend. I'd, I'd probably start him in that position as well. But you just sort of half expect it, don't you, that you know, whoever plays left-hand side for Leeds, we're going to be sat there 20 minutes in going, he's having a good game, isn't he? It's a little bit worrying this. And then, mm-hmm. I suppose the, the one thing you could say about the way we lined up at the weekend is that if that wasn't working, you could easily tweak the shape a little bit and say to Godfrey, go and play right back and I worry you can play in front of him for a little bit and you can change it up that way maybe stem the flow down that side. That's, I suppose, the, the advantage of having versatile players, but yeah, I know what you're saying in terms of the wing backs being a little bit unbalanced as well, in terms of one attacking and one defensive. And in an ideal world, I'd love to have us have two lads flying forward. And do you know what? I probably would be up for a Wobey on one side and a Kunku on the other side if we had a back three that looked like it was really functioning. And unfortunately, yeah. at the moment, it's not. And those lads have shown so far, whether they played in a back two or a back three at Fulham that they need protection. Unfortunately, like you said, it's about moving pieces around on you know on your little tactics board and saying, this could work, this could work. And then you go, well, actually, he's not covered properly. And it feels like that's where we are at the moment. And you know, whether he sticks with the system and just says, you're going to have to learn how to adapt and how to get better. And with time, you will, because you'll be better used to the system and better used to the players around you. Or whether he keeps changing it, looking for a formula, I don't know. I'd probably prefer him to do the latter. It's only the former, to be honest, and just 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 stick stick with the way you're doing it. Um,
1: yeah, it's all the changing. You, you feel like you, you you feel like you're caught between a rock and a hard place because it's like you've got to change when the results aren't going well. But does more of the change just continue to perpetuate the same inconsistency in results? And I, it's a tough one. It's a really tough one. But I think I think just uh, football fans in general. I think we. We
0: we take a little morsel of evidence from a football match sometimes to try and make these huge long term yeah. predictions from it. And I think that's that's not something I want to do with a where he be great forty-five minutes of full. I mean it was promising. He showed he could do a job there. Um, I think there are aspects of the wing back role which suit his his attributes. Um and, and hopefully he could take that forward. But Listen, I'm, I'm not sitting here saying he's, he's going to be playing right wing back for us every week because he's, you know, the answer there full time. Let's let let's wait and see. Let's how he, see how he does against the better side, and then if he does well at the weekend, let's see how he does against the physical side in Burnley, and then if he does well against Burnley, let's see how he does against a really good side in in Chelsea. You know, it's it's step by step by step, week and by
1: week. Yeah, you know, you, get,
0: you know, I sound like a manager there, though, and I one game at a time. But you know, <laughs> I think when it comes to these players, that's that's where we are. We we, we cut. Unfortunately, we can't trust them. We can't trust them to, to come in and do, do a job. So it's up to them to, to change our minds, and that's going to take a, a, a bit more than, than one half against Fulham.
1: Yeah. Mike, you, you got me, f- fairly or not, I, I especially now confronted with this situation, I think you've, prob- you've probably lit this fire with me of thinking that, hey, some... Some normalcy to everyone's schedule, no international games till March, um, you know, guys, you know, c- c- people getting healthier. Gabon, I mean, the Gabamin theory to me is one of those where I, I on the one hand, I I think the argument that you've made about Gabamin being a much better fit for what we want to do with this season's side versus whatever the idea was with pairing him with Gomes uh, last season, that this is actually a far better suited solution for him. But I'm also kind of thinking, am I being, uh, am I being hypocritical by saying that I want, you know, Iwobi is just a theory until he does this more. And I'm actually put pinning way too many hopes on a guy who's only played a game and a half for us at this point in his career. Like I, I, I think the plan makes sense, but uh, I, I also, I think that a lot of my hope right now is sort of invested in some players, at least defensively, some players uh, getting into better form uh, as they have a more normal schedule. Um, the the bringing a Gabamin back to allow Allen and Decoré to play more naturally. I, I, I'm i trying to kind of, I feel like I'm grasping at, at straws a bit, but as Matt says, I, I, I do sort of feel like that, A, we we definitely try to extrapolate too much from, you know, and our recency bias kicks in and we, we try to extrapolate too much from one game, but yet B we have to sort of take this one game at a time and try to manage our way through that. Because I think the idea of trying to project what this side or what the starting 11 is going to look like, even two weeks from now, almost feels, uh, it, it just doesn't, it feels like trying to, uh, you know, to staple jello to a wall at this point. So <laughs> I don't know how you feel about
2: that. Yeah, I think um, when you're projecting hopes onto Gabama and you're projecting hopes onto the unknown, when you're projecting hopes onto Alex Awobi, you're projecting them onto the known. We've, as Matt said before, we've seen um, Alex Awobi have two good games. Well, no, I don't think I've ever seen him have two good games in a run for Everton. I think I've seen him had two good halves occasionally, but definitely not two good games. And he's just never really had that. Two, con-
1: two league games, maybe. I feel like maybe cup. If you add a cup in there every once in a while, maybe.
2: But yeah, yeah points I just, taken. I, I just, so, I just don't feel so that. Far. I just don't feel that that consistent run of form has ever really been there for him that I can ever now give him the benefit of the doubt that, yeah, actually, do you know what? I could see him coming in at right wing back and having four or five good, really good performances. Um, yeah, now I just, I don't, I don't believe that to be the case from what I have seen. But you know what? As I said on the Subs Weekly, it's up to him to prove absolutely everyone wrong. Now, find his role, carve it out, be determined, be confident, and get to the end of this run of games and actually have something to show for it. Which I don't think he has in previous runs that he's had. I don't think we can ever turn around and point to three, four, five games where you go, do you know what? Yeah, fair, fair play. He made the difference in those games. We haven't had that yet, and that's all we really need. From him. we need those players who come in and play in utility positions or come in and play as a squad role to have games that you can hang your hat on and go. That's why I should be starting. That's why I'm good enough to be in this team, and we haven't really seen that from. him. So it is. It's just up to him, start to finish. Now this run, that however long Seamus Coleman is out for, whether it's a week, two weeks, a month, who knows? Because it could be any amount of time. But I don't think personally that we'll be sat here in a month talking about Alex a uh, right wing back. But you know what? I'd love to. I'd love it if we could sit here and be like, yeah, do you know what? This is going excellently, and we we can use this as a system. But that's up to him to prove everyone wrong now. The,
0: the, the thing about it as well is it's it's when he has his bad, bad games. It's not just like oh we had the poor game. It's it's like what on earth's going on here? Like that that yeah. that Southampton first half. It's just we just saw a a footballer meltdown to, mm. up to a point where he, before half time he lets the ball go out to play for some unbelievable reason and. I think when you have performances like that, which he's had a few of in his Everton career, it's, it it pushes you down the pecking order very quickly, and you're only going to go again then when you're. I need to be drafted in like in emergency at right wing back, or if you've got an injury crisis, and all of a sudden that's when you get your chance, and, and the window is is very small. And I think is that, he a confidence player, Matt? I, I would say he is. Mike's Mike's not, and I, I don't I don't know. I just I just sort of feel like he, he has spells in games because like, even at the weekend he had a bit of a ropey start if you think about like he, he played that pass back to Pickford didn't he do remember? like on the volley and Pickford spooned it up in the air and they had a bit of a chance and you just thought oh god it's want to be one of those days I just think sometimes he just bursts into life and has yeah. fantastic little spells in games and it just sort of comes I don't know where, where it comes from it just sort of happens I, I don't look at him and think oh he's, he's confident today he's playing well and he just seems to just find little spells in games where he, he does really well but Ultimately, the reason why we're sceptical about players like this is because we're the, we're the club that are looking to be in the top six this season. And it's it's hard for players to establish themselves in a side that's that competing for the top six team. It's not, it's not easy to go from that good middle-of-the-road Premier League player into someone who's going to be getting games every week for a team pushing for a European spot. And fans aren't moaning about you. And saying, oh, he's not very good. I'm not sure about him. It's hard. Not not many players do it. Not many players can, can make that step up to it. And, and, and you know, if a Wuby was to do it at this point, he'd be one of a you know, a minority that, that can do it, can make that jump up. So that's why people are skeptical about it. That's why it's sort of hard to envisage him going on and making those next few steps. And it's not it's not because he's not got the ability because he has, it's just everything else around him. It's the, the circumstances he was brought to the football club in, it's the system we're playing in. It's his own focus and his, his, his inconsistency as well, and he's, he's got a chance now, but because of because of how low he can go in terms of performances, I sort of worry he's only ever going to get small windows to prove himself, and windows where he's not necessarily playing in his best position.
1: Mm, yeah, well, and whether it's just because of of the lack of Id- <laughs> the lack of a of a very conventional plug-and-play solution on the right side or what. I mean, it does seem pretty clear. Uh, I didn't think I'd necessarily be bringing his name up today, but it does feel like Carlo Ancelotti certainly, you know, f- seems to believe in something with Iwobi, or at least feels like he can get something out of him because he does continue to get chances uh, where others don't, like Anthony Gordon. Um, I, I don't know that um, – you know, I joke all the time that Gordon's legend just grows and you know exponentially every every match he doesn't play <laughs> because we insert our own narrative into the unknown and and create a solution. And I I think that that you know I know that we did that with Lookman a lot when he was here. I, I hope Gordon. I Gordon's still so young that it's hard for me to get too worried about this notion he won't get. His, he'll get his chance. I think it's not coming as fast as we'd like it to, but um, it, it is interesting that and I always say this, don't, don't believe what a manager says, believe what a manager does. If, if he plays a, plays a player consistently, uh, that's, that's how, you know, how that manager feels about the player. And, and, and that's, I think that's true in, in sport in general. Um, but I, I, I think what'll be interesting to see uh, as as we go forward is, is, Frankly, uh, Carlo Ancelotti kind of needing to to earn his money in a in a situation like this, where where we don't have we're not blessed with with incredible uh, fitness in some key areas, and and this is about uh, a manager who historically has always said he is not wed to a particular system. He is uh, someone who looks at the talent he's got on hand and he finds a way to configure it in a way that he can get the most out of it. And so I think that's that's uh, I mean that sounds very obvious at this point, but that's that's kind of where we're going. Just, um, just
0: one, just one thing I wanted to mention there, Rob, in regards to yeah. players, players getting better as we when they're not in the side,
1: and maybe this this could be a little
0: segue into our NFL chat. Actually, sure. I always, yeah. I always, I always remember this as when I well, I've been into the NFL for a few years, and obviously, I'm a Indianapolis Colts fan. And in 2011, Peyton Manning, who was obviously the star quarterback for the Colts, had led them to a lot of Super Bowls in his time with them, was injured for that season 2011 didn't play a game the Colts who were one of the best teams in the NFL with him in won two and lost 14 that season and I remember there were pundits on American football NFL whatever you want to call it uh, programs saying that Peyton Manning should win the MVP award for that season (laughs) because it's because it him not being there and the drop off in the Colts performance shows how important he is to that (laughs) side yeah
1: I've I've heard those sorts of abstraction type arguments before, and there's, hey, there is something there is something to that. I, I and by the funny way, he was grace to be fair, <laughs> of course. Well, and he's he's there's a reason he was you know he's a first ballot hall hall of famer. He's one of the greatest that's ever played. But I, I mean, he won five MVPs, and 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 an MVP is. Uh, a, It's hard to convey if you've never watched the NFL, but winning an MVP is hard and rare in the NFL uh, to do it that many times. That's a LeBron James, Michael Jordan level of of dominance of of your position. And so, uh, yeah, uh, Peyton Manning is is, uh, I, I think that. You can, I think you could almost say as we we kind of wrap up the Luca Dean portion of, of this and circle around to that, that it is a gut punch to lose someone like Luca Dean because of how well he was playing and how instrumental he was to things. And we certainly will suffer from that to a degree, but I don't know if... I can ever, no matter how good a left back is, it's hard for me to ever look at a left back and say, that injury means that you have to write off the whole season. A quarterback in the NFL is that way. I think for Everton, frankly, at this point, it, 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 is, it would be losing, to me, Calvert-Lewin or Richarlison, I think is clearly the the one that is the one you can't lose for any meaningful period of time because we have all of the available evidence to show what happens when we do. And yeah, I could see Richarlison missing the last half of the season and say, yep, he's player of the season, all right, just because of that exact Peyton Manning uh, example you gave. But, uh, but, hey, great segue, Matt. Uh, it's almost like I asked you to do that, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> it wasn't so much that I wanted to talk NFL specifically, but I, I, I did want to talk about you know Mike michael here has been um, has I, I don't know what it is it, I almost feel like a, a proud papa watching him uh really get into the NFL this season uh, because it's you gotta you have to understand guys it's such a weird juxtaposition because as I have been part of the blue Room now for years and part of you know friends with you guys now for a while and kind of part of everton Twitter for a while I've always felt like my perspective was driven by by being someone who didn't grow up with the sport and now it feels and so my observations would sometimes be a little more I think a lot of my observations about how I view the sport how I view our expectations for certain things I think are driven by the fact that I am not someone who grew up with all of the kind of unwritten rules of how you know this you know, this clean sheet means more than anything else, or you have to play this way, or you can't do this. I, I think I've probably just gotten into this sport uh, with through the lens of all these other sports, right? So now it almost feels like the roles are reversed, and I I see. You know, someone like Mike and Matt. You've been into the NFL for a while now, but you know, you guys coming into the NFL later in life and consuming this sport that I've grown up with. And for as long as I can remember, I, I've been watching NFL football. I grew up in the Dallas area, and you know for better or worse, I've been a Cowboys fan growing up and that's, that's a, an interesting journey in and of itself, much like Everton, they haven't won anything since the mid nineties. And it's, it is a soul crushing experience to watch them sometimes. But what it has done is it's informed the way that I, I I think that whether I meant to or not, I draw parallels uh, between the NFL and the premier league. And I, I, uh, in terms of everything from how we watch the game on, you know, what our expectations of, for how it's covered, I think I've been vocal at times about, My criticism of how the media operates in the UK is in terms of covering the Premier League versus, you know, the the way it's covered uh, in in an environment that I'm used to. And so I've thought about a lot about this and I wanted to bring you two on because you're both NFL fans. Mike is now a new NFL fan uh, and he is, you know, he, he yesterday Mike was asking questions about, well, what, you know, is what's a first round draft pick really worth, like in relative comparison to a player? Just getting into all these nuances. And I and I feel like um I feel like I'm Obi-Wan Kenobi just trying to <laughs> I don't know that I'm that smart about the NFL, but I do in relative comparison feel like I'm so seasoned that I can actually be the one finally who's not the the football idiot. I'm a football idiot when it comes to the Premier League, but I am not a football idiot when it comes to American football. And so that makes me feel good. And so I, I wanted to kick off this conversation, Matt. I want to start with you because you're, you've are you been watching the NFL now for longer. But, you know, as you've consumed it, I don't know, is there a symbiotic relationship between all of your sports follows? Meaning that does do some of the takeaways from one sport in, in any way influence how you then end up viewing another sport at, at, at times? And And the example I'll give you, and this is what prompted this conversation is, I was wondering why is it that I am so like I'm not as worked up about thing about defense for instance when we're winning or when we're score and I think that that comes back to the fact that like when I grew up watching the NFL if you were a good defense you held teams to under 14 points a game right in the modern day NFL, you can be a good defense and allow 24 points in a game, but if you're getting sacks and turnovers, you're considered good. And it's a ba- it's a high scoring game, and so I think that it's not just that hockey has become that way. Uh, NBA basketball is now higher scoring than it's ever been. I don't know if it's because we are flooded with analytics. We are flooded with more resources now for smart people who are paid lots of money to invest their time and efforts into diagnosing and analyzing how to attack defenses in every sport. That that's why we are just now in this big culture change and shift across all sport where offense and attacking is so prevalent it's changed the way that I think I consume the Premier League, whereas my first round with Everton was in 04 where we were going to the Champions League off the backs of 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 2-1, 1-0. You know? So, Matt, my question, I'll start with you, is does does your consumption of the NFL or other sports end up in any way impacting your perceptions or your expectations of dynamics in, others, in, in, in a sport like the Premier League?
0: I, th- I think I'll probably go the other way around. So, okay. so, for, so for example, the other night when the Colts were playing the Packers, and like, like I said, I've been watching the NFL for a long time now. The Colts were effectively two touchdowns behind. Where at one point they were losing 28-14. Yeah, and I I still have this habit of equating that to the equivalent of being two goals down <laughs> in football. Yeah, and I think, and I think that. It's harder to come back from two goals down in footy than it is to come back from two touchdowns down in the NFL. Yeah. So I was I was watching that game and I was sort of half tempted to go to bed because I was like, oh, you know, 14 points, it sort of feels massive. Two touchdowns is massive. Aaron Rodgers and all that. It just, you know, I was guilty of, you know, <laughs> it's the classic if you two goals down on 70 minutes at Goodison and all of a sudden, the empty train carriage back into town, the ship and might feel very, very tempting to get off. Um <laughs> but I think I think it's the I think what 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 I've I think being brought up on football and trying to get more involved in, in other sports and more involved in, in the NFL. I think we're conditioned by following footy that a goal is such an important thing that happens. In the, mm-hmm. the game, a goal happening in football, I'd say, is probably more significant than anything happening in any other sport because touchdowns come around more regularly in the NFL, tries come around more frequently in rugby league and rugby union. So I've still got this preconditioned thing in my head that when the Colts are two touchdowns down, that that's pretty much game over. And actually, this season, they've come back from 14 point deficits, I think there's an 18 point deficit as well against the Bengals earlier in the the season and I still, it's just there, it's just there in my head that I think, ah, that's, maybe this is a combination of being an Everton fan as well and was never coming back from those deficits (laughs) in Yeah,
1: yeah. I
0: feel like, I feel like for me it's been the other way around, Rob, it's been the, Mm -hmm. it's the, the, you know, being brought up on Everton and on the Premier League and on football sort of finds its way into, to other, into other sports and I think stuff like what Mike said there, I, I find myself asking those questions as well like what's, how much money would you put on a first round draft pick and that sort of thing? So, yeah, there's quite an interesting dynamic, actually.
1: Yeah. Mike, you're, you're, I'm, I'm probably most curious in some ways about your opinion because this is still so relatively new to you. And, you know, Matt talked about uh, trying to, because your starting frame of reference is a sport where, a score is such a big mountain to climb. And it—and believe me, even when I first got into to watching the Premier League and watching uh, soccer, if you will, uh, it was very much that feeling, especially watching World Cup games when I was younger, of feeling like, man, a lot of these games are 1-0 and 2-1, and it's just there's not much there. And so the NFL used to feel that way, actually, believe it or not, to a degree. It was a lower-scoring sport. And so a touchdown was more like that, whereas now... A a two touchdown lead in the NFL feels much more like a one goal lead or a one and a half goal lead, if you will, than it does. But I think the bigger question, Mike, I want your thoughts on this is from from a macro perspective in terms of the dynamics of how you value offense versus defense uh, in, in sport in general after watching the NFL um, obviously, these are different sports, and there are different consequences for scoring. I acknowledge all that. There's not a perfect symmetry here. But I do think it's impossible for me to completely separate this idea, especially watching American football, of the fact that I don't expect like I, I for instance, look at the chiefs who won the Super Bowl last year. their defense was just kind of okay, and no one's going to ever talk about it ever again because they were so good on offense that it didn't matter. And so that is often, that is more the case more way more often in the NFL than it is the other way around. Occasionally you have like a a defense that's so dominant that their pedestrian offense is enough to win the Super Bowl, but that's super rare. So I, I don't, I feel like it started to seep into my, the way I view the Premier League. Now, granted with Everton guys, I have never had the problem of having to encounter a high scoring side until this season, but now I have one and it's sort of like, I'm not as, I I can't get as upset as I used to be about defense when we didn't score, when if we conceded a goal, I was just hoping for a draw at that point. Now I don't feel that way all the time. So maybe that's what's changed it. But I guess, Mike, my question to you is, as you've watched the NFL and your perception of what a good defense is or dominant defense or what the balance is between offense and defense and and ultimate success, does it in any way change the way that you view Everton in this context or view the Premier League in this context as we're getting into this high-scoring glut of goals that we're seeing in 2020 and 2021?
2: Um, I think the one thing that always has remained distinct for me between the likes of the Premier League and rugby league and the NRL and the NFL and those sorts of things is that every sport apart I've talked about there, rugby league, um, the NFL, they are they are geared towards points being scored. the The entire game is geared towards points and football isn't football is not geared towards points being scored it, it is much more nil nil is fine nil nil is not taboo if you are kept out if there is a shutout it's not a thing it's just yeah you didn't score a goal because guess what it, you're not mandatory to score a goal nil nil can be a good thing like those there, there is a definite difference between the way an offense works in the NFL the way um the, the way offensive patterns work in the NRL and the way that attacking teams work in the Premier League because you have two examples there of systems and plays that are designed and set up specifically with all of the rules in mind that take place within the confines of maybe 10 or 15 seconds and those 10 or 15 seconds stop next 10 or 15 seconds next one next one football is not like that it's sort of just this one seamless back and forth tug of war there is no okay you have it now and try okay now we take it back and try there is there's no understanding of when your next ability to manage a game will take place So I feel that when it comes to football, as you say there, Rob, it all comes back to those high-scoring games. The issue and the frustration is that we don't know. So Everton, the 4-2 up, for example, and then suddenly the 4-3 up, we don't know when the next time Everton will be able to control this game is. We don't know the next opportunity they will have. So it's more frustration that causes that than I think an annoyance at the goals conceded. Whereas NFL you know all right sand or rugby league the other team scores do you have a chance now control the game see it out it's given straight back to you right there you go off you go it's your turn to see what you can do now and that to me is the difference and the nuance when it comes to offensive patterns yeah i think i think well,
0: as well just just one, one other thing it's yeah. what mike was saying there it's you know it's on Thanksgiving football today it's the Texans versus the Lions got it, got it on in the background here sneakily <laughs> um, you know the, the Texans two star players at the moment well, they got rid of one of them in the summer didn't they? but uh, we'll talk about that uh, but uh, Deshaun Watson one of the best quarterbacks in the league and JJ Watt one of the best defensive players of his generation they're never on the pitch at the same time yeah they're yeah. never on they don't they don't play together so it's sort of like i think in the nfl it feels a little bit more like you can have a good defense and a good offense because they are entirely separate entities it's not like if you set up to be and i mean obviously if you can go into the draft and say we're going to pick attacking players this or offensive players this year because we want to be more offensive and we're going to tilt up the balance that way but it is possible to have both whereas in football unless you're a very special side if you want to be an attacking side then ultimately you sacrifice something defensively you know, it's, I think the the NFL it's I don't know it's a bit like the, the two things doing you know offense and defense do impact each other but they don't really because the the same what what one, one, one example this might sound like a weird comparison to me but it's a bit like a bowling partnership in cricket where you're not doing your thing at the same time together but the pressure that one Bowler puts on the batsman can help the one who goes next and, and vice versa if that makes sense. So you're not doing your thing together, but you sort of are as well. You know, you're, you're not actively on the mm-hmm. pitch doing your sport at the same time. But what happens with one has a knock on effect with the other. Whereas footy, obviously, it's it's much more of a, a, a team thing. Whereas in the NFL, you can have your two best players.
2: Rakuten. It's the smartest way to shop and save. Earn cash back at over 3,500 stores in every single category. We're talking fashion, beauty, electronics, home essentials, traveling, dining, subscription services, and so much more. Rakuten deposits your cash back directly into your PayPal account or can send you a check. Membership is free and it's super easy to sign up. Rakuten has 15 million members who are already saving. Shouldn't you be one of them? it's a no-brainer. Shopping smarter doesn't have to be harder. Start with Rakuten via desktop, the app, or the extension, and let Rakuten do the deal finding for you. Start saving today at rakuten.com or on the Rakuten app. That's Rakuten, R-A-K-U-T-E-N.
0: In the entire franchise, never be on the pitch at the same time together.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, look, I, I'm certainly not arg- arguing that, that they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're very similar sports because there are some major differences. I, I think though, that sometimes the defense, I think in the NFL though, one thing, the way, and it's not often thought about, but the way that defense impacts the offense on your own team is that if your defense, if your offense, um, you know, is the kind of offense, let's say for instance is, you know, quick strike and scores really quick, but doesn't hold on to the ball for very long, you have the defense out there longer, that can have a symbiotic relationship on, on you know, your ability to have possessions or if you have, you know, if you keep the ball longer, you're, you expose your defense less, et cetera. But they the the all the 6% seize that one. No, no, right? no absolutely yeah, yeah. separate entity. But I, I think my, my general point was more about kind of the broad scope of what does success look like? And as we talk about team sports in general and every team sport, uh, has some component of offense and defense, whether they're on this, you know, you know, obviously in, 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 footy, it's more, it's, it's the same 11 who, who once they don't have the ball, they have to switch on to defense and vice versa. Basketball is that way. Hockey is that way. So I'm used to those sorts of sports where, you know, there, there aren't as many stoppages obviously. And those, those sorts of things are you're, you're constantly in flux. You're constantly in transition. But I think the broader point, I, I guess I wanted to make was I, I, I've found over the years that as the other sports I follow become, and I'm talking about the sport as a whole, uh, become more focused, uh, whether it's the changes in the rules, which have a lot to do with it, frankly, um, the way that they're enforcing those rules maybe has the most to do with it, you know, uh, the way they protect for instance offensive you know players in, 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 in basketball and in the NFL et cetera it, basically everything has been geared towards trying to generate more offense. What I can't tell about football um, and now switching back and this is always confusing to talk about NFL and this and when I say <laughs> football I'm talking about uh, football as it is around the rest of the world the Premier League I uh, uses the placeholder there but what I what I don't know about the Premier League is is the Premier League. And European, let's just use European football as a broader term. Is European football or world football the modern game? What have you? Is it fundamentally changing because the rules haven't really changed that much? The you know, I mean, there's VAR now, and there's there's uh, some elements here and there, but the rules, eleven versus eleven, the same general, you know, same amount of space, all these things. You know, Mike makes a really good point. Uh, football is really not geared towards being an offensive sport uh, but therefore the reward for being you know succeeding offensively is even bigger in a sport that value that that is structured to support defense so much I guess my question is 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 there a sea change going on or is this an aberration it feels like There is, I mean, it doesn't just feel like, I mean, the numbers support it. There's more scoring now in this league than there's ever been before. Will we revert back to quote normal after the pandemic? Uh, Or is this a sign that much like other major professional sports around the world that the the entire structure of it is beginning to tilt more and more towards uh more score like you guys talk about for instance you grew up with with uh, you know everton you grew up with the premier league and it is a certain way and do younger people now who are getting into the sport do they look at it and say i i like a sport where there's more goals i like a sport where it's this does does do we continue does do we continue to see a tilt or is this kind of a one-off aberration this season that we're seeing
2: I think as more money gets spent, it can't be underestimated that the most money in all of football is spent on attacking talent. It always has been, always will be. And getting the best out of that attacking talent is where another big load of that money is spent. And more and more money is being spent on getting the best out of the attacking talent. Um, being As you said, Rob, being able to analyse and exploit de- defences is a massive part of just staple of the Premier League when it really was not like 15, 20 years ago, wasn't at all. Um, but for me, the the way it is right now is is just, it's an outlier. It's not going to stay like this forever. It is completely down to the system within, well, the, the world that the system finds itself within at the moment. And you look at the the amount of football currently being played by a lot of elite athletes and probably too much. If you're asking any... Um, any sports scientists or fitness fitness professional, they would probably say that a lot of those players are in the quote unquote red zone right now of the, the where they should never be with injuries and just the risks and all those sorts of things. So the the fatigue and those sorts of issues, I think, are playing a massive factor. The injuries, the holes in squads that we've seen as well. That's been a big factor as well. So I do think it will settle down somewhat. And I think once crowds return, we won't see the blowouts that we have seen because crowds are a big part of football. And if you have a team like Evan who are 2-0 down at home and you have a crowd who give them absolute pelters because they're 2-0 down at home, sometimes those players will either go even further into the shells and capitulate or like we saw against Leicester in the Cup last year, something changes, something clicks, and you can come back. We haven't seen that very much with no crowds. Usually if a team goes 2-0 down, they go 4-0 down, and that's the end of the game. We haven't seen very many big, massive comebacks. And if we do, it's mostly because the other team takes the foot off the gas and just leaves it off because there's no one there to motivate them to keep going. It's There's no, there's no real... Rhyme or reason to it without crowds for me, so I think that will change a little bit when it comes back. So I don't expect it to carry on the way it has been, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I agree with all that. The one thing I would add is I think the five subs is quite interesting because, yeah, defenders don't get subbed in footy. Yeah. So if, if people have five substitutions and the to change in the midfield and the, their attack, then more and more often you're going to have fresh attacking players. Coming up against tired defenders in games, and maybe maybe that'll change. But managers just don't. You never see a centre back get sub, do you, in a, a footy match? Or, or hey, or...
1: I was I was thinking that the other day, Matt, when when I was watching the Fulham game, and it was said in a very matter of fact way. Well, well, you know, when they were subbing off for Charleston and Hama, as well, you know, these two guys just—they're absolutely tired after all this, and you know, they've just gotten. Uh, back from this long trip to South America, and I was thinking to myself, yeah, but you you probably aren't going to ever hear that about Yerry Mina because he's a defender. Because defenders, they just don't – there's not this expectation that a defender is situationally subbed out unless you're uh, – unless there's some extraordinary circumstance. And, and yeah. I, I feel like a five-sub thing is just a very – I, I don't know that I want it, but I also do think that I, I'm willing to listen because I think the advantage it gives to sides with money is is going to be geared exactly towards that, towards offense. Those subs will be there to have specialized offensive tactical changes made. Um, but for the long fair, long-term welfare of players, do you have to spread out the minutes more? Do you I mean because the real solution guys is probably that we limit the number of fixtures we have in comparison to the number we have now. And that's just not going to happen with the way money is. So it's either spreading out the season more or spreading out the minutes players play with more subs or, you know, finding creative solutions around that. But um, no, I, I find it interesting just because um, you know, I find just to kind of wrap up this discussion. I, I think that, I can't separate, and this may just be me, I, I certainly have my preconceived notions about what a quality Premier League side looks like in terms of their performance. I know that if they win a game 2-0, 3-1, that they've probably been good offensively and defensively, and then like, that's really solid. But I have found myself, because of because I used to watch the NFL that way. The NFL was was not this high scoring, high flying sort of thing that we see on Red Zone every week now. Um, it, it used to be very much a low scoring, lots of fourteen to. 13 games, 17 to 14 games, those sorts of things where scoring a touchdown was a huge deal and you fe- it felt like a gut punch. Whereas now I'm like, oh, we're down 14, down 14. It'll be fine. So I, I do think that some of that has bled over into the way that I now watch this suddenly offensively resurgent league and think, hey, no one wants to give up two goals in a game, but if you're scoring three or you're scoring four, or like West Brom happens and it's 5-2, I just, I, it's hard for me to get as wrapped up about that defensive performance because I end up not caring at all in the NFL if the Cowboys, like they did against the Vikings the other day, they won 31-28, I think was the score. And I haven't thought for a second about the defense. All I thought <laughs> about was the defense got to stop at the right time. They got turnovers that led to points. And that's become the new definition of success in the NFL. I wonder sometimes in the Premier League if it's a question of, you know, do your – and maybe we see this with the way that fullbacks have evolved, right, over the last uh, decade plus into – I don't believe, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, fullbacks were not really seen as integral parts of the offensive attack historically in the, compared to how they have been now, right? Like they it does feel like fullbacks are now – genuinely generally relied upon to be more integral to the offensive Did, attack and i wonder if that is that different or am i well, am i off base i can't believe you didn't hear rob that liverpool invented a tuck full box well I, I have heard that in fact i mean i need to clearly I've, i haven't written my thank you note yeah. for them inventing uh, <laughs> offensive uh, football and pre- they invented pressing as well i didn't know if you knew about that too and they invented managers with hipster glasses as well i mm. don't know if you knew that so yeah, uh, but anyway, no, just uh, just a random kind of sports philosophy yeah, discussion yeah. there. I Really enjoyed it with the, uh, the two of you and, and Mike. I just want to say every day that that you talk to me about the NFL, I, I feel like a proud a proud father or big brother of some kind. And this one, I want you to keep it up, buddy. Feel I free to it. ask me any random NFL draft or free agency didn't, or player development didn't, questions. Can like.
0: we all watch Red Zone together when you came over, Rob? absolutely watch that mine. yeah,
1: yeah, it's a funny thing to say, but you know as much as I'm look as much as I talk about looking forward to getting back to Goodison, I really am just as excited about getting to watch Red Zone again with you guys. <laughs> I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be fantastic, so well, guys, it's been awesome uh I'm gonna go enjoy my my Thanksgiving lunch now uh and uh get ready for Cowboys game that'll be coming up soon Uh, Matt Mike thank you for joining Uh, we've got a game on Saturday somehow uh, against Leeds Uh, if you if you were nervous about defense before boy I think uh, Saturday could potentially be uh, a very tense game uh, but should be a lot of fun Uh, we'll have post-match after that Um, like we'll remains to be seen who'll be on that I know Matt will be on that for sure Um, we've got week in preview that just dropped before this episode started recording Um, obviously we'll have you know tons of other content Coming up throughout the week uh, If I can get hold of Dave We'll do Long Con uh, Maybe we'll do it Sunday You know we're, We were supposed to do it last week we'll, we'll eventually do Long Con again I'm sure we've got Plenty to talk about And uh, obviously Tons of great stuff On the subscriber side And As I have said on this show Many times guys Subscribers Weekly For those of you Who don't subscribe You should And uh, Subscribers Weekly Always ends up being The best conversation Of the week about football The, the, the conversation this week With uh, uh, Matt, Mike And now I guess we can call Mike Mike Greenall Mick. I'm, I'm gonna I'm <laughs> gonna I'm going to hammer that home now every time I talk to him. Uh, that was one of the best football conversations I've heard in a while. I think uh, for those of you trying to figure out the nuances of, of of analyzing games and how how adjustments in a formation and all these things have practical impacts on the way we watch Everton, uh, you can't have three better guys on than, than the three that you had on Subs Weekly. So if you haven't heard Subs Weekly this week, check it out. Uh, it all still is relevant even with the Luca Dean injury. And uh, obviously, Luca Dean, we wish you the best.